you gonna do all right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Tuesday right around 10, 15 a.m., January 17th. Uh, first day of classes of the new semester at the University of Miami. And uh, Andrew Ferrelli of Team Raw is back with us to uh, talk a little Canes, talk a little uh, recruiting. Andrew, uh, big seven-on-seven event this weekend, the first major one of the season for you guys over there with Team Raw. Uh, the Battle Miami tournament, which will be taking place at Mills Pond Park. Teams from all over the country coming. I came, uh, I went and watched you guys practice a few weeks ago. Uh, uber talented squad you've put together. I know this is really exciting for you. Um, I want to get into that. I also want to get into, you know, kind of the latest with Miami's coaching changes. Uh, last uh, Yesterday, I, I broke the story on Frank Ponce, uh, Miami's quarterback's coach, returning to Appalachian State. Uh, to uh, be offensive coordinator, um, other changes coming on the staff as well. We'll, we'll we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit of recruiting. Cormani McLean is a hot subject, but I want to start with Battle Miami because that's that's the next big event, and I don't want us to get lost in everything else we're going to talk about. So let's talk about that and what it's like to build a, a seven on seven team and um and and to get to know a new group of kids. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're we're excited for Battle Miami. Like you said, it's the, the first big tournament of the year. Um, there's like 80 teams from around the country that are, are coming down for that. Um, and just, uh, it, it's exciting for all the work that's been put in over the last, you know, few months and everything, building this to, to finally come to fruition. Um, there's a lot of work behind the scenes, especially the direction that 7-on-7 seven is going with uh, all these teams becoming national. Everyone has players from around the country playing for them. Um, so just recruiting nationally to bring kids in, getting all the flight information, everything like that to, to bring all these players in from around the country um, for your showcase, for your tryout, for for everything like that, and being able to, to put together a roster, all the, the uniform sponsors, everything like that, that that 7-on-7 seven seven has, has evolved into over the last couple of years um, to finally get to that first tournament date is uh, is pretty exciting. So looking forward to, to that finally being here. Uh, and it's just going to be a big weekend down here. Um, you're going to have, you know, like I said, probably roughly 80 teams around the country uh, most of them loaded with three, four, five-star players. So it's a big opportunity for UM as well to have a ton of these top players from around the country all coming down here to South Florida. Uh, I know last year when Battle Miami was here, Miami had kind of like a, almost like a junior day where they had all the teams come in. Um, all these players were on campus. Uh, and I envision them doing something similar where you're going to have a lot of these players that are going to be down here from around the country for this tournament. will be finding some time either Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, whenever it may be to, uh, to make their way over to UM's campus as well. Yeah. It's a really busy weekend and really, <clears throat> you know, I know the coaches are in on the 24 kids a long time ago. Mario Crisabonis guys have been recruiting these 24 guys for a long, long time, but really seven on seven season, I feel is when things start to happen and get in motion because a lot of these guys get around each other. They start having conversations. Hey, what, what about this program? You have all the coaching changes that sort of take place in the middle of this and there's spring football and it carries into the summer. And by the summer, I'd say a lot of these guys have a really good idea of where they're going. Some of them silently commit. Some of them are, you know, holding on to a spot. Um, Let's, let's talk a little bit about that process. Uh, you know, you're so involved in, in sort of player personnel now, right? Running running this seven-on-seven seven team. You you did it with South Florida Express for a long time, just getting to know these guys. I, I want to get the, the the listeners and the people tuning into us here on YouTube and, and, and who downloaded this podcast to understand what it's like for these kids to go through this process and the way the calendar works for them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a major decision for them, um, especially now that that 23 class has kind of been completed for most of these schools, you know, with a couple outliers that are still bounced around out there. Um, now that attention is fully on these these 24 kids, and uh, it, it's a lot for them. I don't think people realize just how much, uh, you know, these kids are going through. They have constantly being hit up by, by coaches, by staff members, by, you know, people from all around the country, reporters. Uh, a lot of these kids just put their phone on silent. I got to I got to call twice to get through because all of them have their phones on on do not disturb anyways, because uh, they're, they're getting so many calls from so many coaches and reporters and everything like that. Uh, so it's definitely a tough process for them. Uh, there, there's a lot that goes into it. Once they do sign, it's it's one of the biggest weights off their shoulders. And I think between uh, just how much goes into the process and, and everything with NIL and stuff. Now we're seeing a lot of kids looking to get it over with earlier. And it seems like we're seeing more and more summer commitments happening. Um, even a, a lot of the kids with, with Seam Raw that I've spoken with um, that, that are, you know, very highly recruited, looking to take their visits over these next couple of months. A lot of them are looking to kind of make that decision, get it all done by the start of their senior season uh, in that August range to, to be able to get that out of the way and uh, and be able to focus on football because it, it is a lot until they, they go ahead and make that choice and, and commit to a school. Yeah, I was going to write a column on this for The Athletic, and uh, but really my opinion on this whole thing is I, I think there should be the early signing period should be August 15th. And I think um, you should probably have three days then in the middle of August while coaches are, are getting teams ready for the start of the season to lock in guys. And I think once you sign uh, or you know do an early signing period in August, I think at that point players should be able to start collecting NIL money. In other words, if you if you sign then in August, you could start getting paid before the start of your senior year. And I know all the state rules don't necessarily allow it, Andrew. Florida, for instance, doesn't allow you to collect NIL. But I think this is one way we can avoid kind of what happened with Jaden Rashada and some of these other kids who sign NIL deals or get enticed by NIL deals to go sign with a particular university. And then things change the moment they are going to set foot on campus. I think what we saw with Jaden Rashada, who was a Miami commitment at one point, it's probably a sign of things to come unless they change the rules. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see more situations like that arising. Uh, my only argument with the signing day in August is there's a lot that can happen between that that August time and when those kids would actually enroll in, in January um, with that whole season playing out with whether it's coaching changes or just, uh, you know, players leaving or, or making an impact, stuff like that, that could change up the, the depth chart and, and how that recruit would look on the roster the following year. Um, th there's a lot that could be impacted by that that full college season between August and January that I think uh, if you do allow them to sign in August, you may see a lot of kids trying to, to get out of that by the time the, the January uh, enrollment period starts. Well, I'd make, um, it real, I'd make it real simple. In my, in my rule, the only way you could get out of your commitment the moment you sign a document is if there's a head coaching change. Unless there's a head coaching change, that's the only way you wouldn't be allowed to get out. And then at the same time, the schools or the, uh, the NIL collectives or the guys like John Ruiz – the moment those kids sign that contract and they sign the, their NIL deal, uh, they've got to continue to pay them unless they're no longer going to that school. So I think this is the way that you you have to make something official because if not, you're going to end up with more Jaden Rashada situations, which really nobody here wants. It, 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 I mean, that's going to go to litigation for the University of Florida. I know you're not a Gator, Andrew, but, uh, you know, that's a messy situation. And I, I think we got to try our best uh, in, in this sport to avoid that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the laws just kind of don't uh, allow that to happen at the moment, though, like you said, especially in Florida and, and most of the states at the moment. Um, once if you were to sign anything or get pay paid, you would you would lose your high school eligibility. So if you were to sign during that August date, start to, to make money from a collective, sign any kind of deal like that, you wouldn't be able to play your, your senior year in high school. 
Um, so it's definitely kind of a, a tricky subject to, to try to work around with the, the laws and everything like that. But uh, I agree that there definitely has to be some some new legislation and some new rules passed to regulate things a little bit, maybe change the, the dates, the timing of things, because uh, the current situation just really isn't working out. Uh, it kind of got pushed through real quick by Congress before the NCA or any of the states or anything like that could uh, really make better decisions on it. And uh, I think we're kind of seeing right now with the, the way it's kind of like the wild, wild west out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to see some some changes coming soon. Um, your your guys' roster, let's talk a little bit about the guys you're bringing into this tournament because there may be people who go out there to watch this. I got a chance to talk to your quarterback, Julian Sayan. He's a uh, Alabama commitment, him and his father, uh, you know, Guys that went through this process early, they basically hooked up with Nick Saban, and, and that's where they want to go now. That's part of their future. Uh, great kid, really good passer. I like the way he throws the football. I think he's ranked the number two quarterback in the country behind Dylan Rayola, if I'm not mistaken. Um, talk a little bit about this, this roster and some of the guys you're going to have running with you this year. Yeah, I mean, we've got a, we've got a really strong roster. We're, we're very excited for it. Um, obviously, led by our quarterbacks, we've got Julian Sayan, who's uh, number two quarterback in the country, committed to Alabama, like you said. Um, just Unreal ball placement, his ability to run and and make throws on the run uh, just makes everything look so simple out there. Um, we also have Michael Van Buren, who's another top 10 quarterback in this class, someone that uh, that Miami really likes. He's uh, the quarterback at St. Francis up in uh, the D.C. Maryland area, one of the top high school football teams in the country. Um, he actually won't be here this weekend. He's going to be on a visit to Oregon. They're one of his top schools up there with, with Miami, Maryland, and a couple others. Um, but he's another kid, just huge arm, big arm talent. Um, Miami is definitely high on him. So having having those two, you know, two top ten quarterbacks leading the leading the team is something we're we're looking forward to. It kind of really gives that whole team confidence. And then uh, we we've got some great some great pass catchers for them to uh, to spread it around to. Um, we've got Mazio Bennett, who's the number one player in South Carolina. Um, he's a, he's a great route runner, strong receiver. Brandon Winton, um, one of the top receivers from IMG. We've got him with us. Uh, KJ Duff, a big six five six six target coming out from New York. Um, and then we've got a lot of a lot of local guys as well. Uh, Nation Montgomery is one of the top twenty twenty five receivers in the country um, from Cardinal Newman and Palm Beach. Dallas Wilson, another one of the top twenty twenty five guys from Tampa Bay. Um, we've got Luane McCoy, uh, Anwan Coleman, some some just incredible athletes, top receivers from Miami Central as well. Um, so we're excited about about the offense and the things that we're going to be able to do having that collection of receivers and uh, you know being led by by two top ten quarterbacks in the country. And then uh, defensively as well, we we feel really good about where our secondary stands. We've got Ellis Robinson, who's the number one cornerback in the country from IMG. Um, he's someone that's, you know, very high on Miami. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him when he was down here uh, two weeks ago for our showcase. And he was just saying, not even talking about the school that much, but just about how much he loves it down here, uh, how he could see himself living in Miami. Uh, it seems like that would maybe a Miami Georgia battle. So uh, that'll be a, a interesting recruitment to watch, but definitely a, a player that Miami's in it for going forward. Uh, we've got Jaden Hardy, Amari Wallace, Anquan Fegans, all top 10 safeties as well uh, between the 2024 and 2025 class. Um, we're bringing in uh, Kevin Humes, who's one of the top 2025 corners in the country from that St. Francis team. He's one of Michael Van Buren's uh, teammates up there. Uh, and then we have some other of the top uh, local DBs as well between CJ Mitchell, uh, Keong Young. We have uh, Camp Kitchen's younger brother, Demetrius Kitchens, who's, who's going to be very good as, as well in the next year or two. Um, so we're, we're excited about where we stand. We've got a, a lot of top, top uh, talent on this team, a lot of t- four-star, five-star guys. We're, uh, you know, excited to get rolling and, and get this season started. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of talented kids for sure. I watched Van Buren throw the football. I really like him a lot. I know he's 
maybe about six feet tall. He's not the biggest of guys, but in terms of just arm strength and being able to, to accurately put the ball where he wanted to go, he puts it in really tight windows. I, he was really impressive to me. And uh, if Miami can somehow get him on board as part of this next recruiting class, that'd be great. I know that they were uh, maybe hoping they could flip Julian Sane too, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's another uber talented guy, but it seems like he's locked in with Alabama. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's a long way to go there. Um, obviously, I don't think Miami's uh, given up on anyone just yet. There's a, a long time to go before that uh, that recruiting class puts pen to paper. Um, and they're going to have two of the top 10 quarterbacks down here uh, a lot throughout the seven on seven season. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to, to land one of them. Let's stick with personnel here before we get to coaching um, and, and a mailbag. I asked for some questions that uh, you and I can answer on this uh, as we do every every episode here. Um Miami obviously is still working on this roster, still looking to to add some help uh, through the transfer portal. Um, this, you know, Miami uh, today, 24 new faces on campus uh, between the high school recruits and the transfer portal uh, pickups. Uh, they picked up uh, eighth year tight end Cam McCormick. Everybody makes the jokes eighth year. As soon as I tweeted that out, it was like, what is he getting his doctorate? Uh, McCormick's a big Big blocking tight end primarily, 6'5", 260, had 10 catches, 66 yards, three touchdowns last season, but really only 18 catches in his career because he's been hurt uh, so often, recruited to Oregon in 2016. Um, I know also that the uh, Iowa cornerback, and, and his name's escaping me, I know his last name's Roberts, I think he was supposed to be on mm -hmm. campus today too among the guys enrolled. Uh, so that would make it, I think, uh, eight transfers in this class right now. Uh, they're trying to get Gary Bryant Jr., the USC wide receiver. He came down for a visit, 5'11", 180 pounds. Not necessarily the big-bodied outside receiver you want, but he's a guy who can stretch the field. And then, of course, I know that they're they're interested in Georgia five-star safety. Jaheim Singletary, a kid out of the Jacksonville area, they recruited the last cycle. Um, you know, He went into the portal as well. Andrew, you're well tapped in. Tell me what's going on, man. What's happening with all those names I threw out there? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I expect, uh, you know, like the, the Iowa cornerback Roberts will be here as well uh, this weekend. That, that'll be uh, good. I think they feel a lot better about the DB room between Devontae Brown, Damari Brown. Um, obviously still working on the Cormani situation and some other guys in the portal. Um, but I think they, they do feel a little bit better than than where they were a couple weeks ago with that. Um, Jaheim Singletary is a, is a big name that they're going after. Like you said, former five-star recruit. Um, has a very good relationship with Miami. Miami was one of his top schools when he did commit to Georgia last year. Um, obviously, he has a relationship with with Jamal Day, who, who spent some time um, recruiting him back in high school, as well as Demarcus Van Dyke, who was on Miami staff recruiting him um, back in high school as well. So he's got some relationships with the UM coaches already. Um, obviously, a Florida native, being being from Jacksonville, uh, so that's someone that they're they're very high on, and hopefully, going to try to get down here for a visit within the next week or two. Uh, Brian, Brian, I was going to say is interesting. 44 catches, 579 yards, seven touchdowns in 2021. He, he, he would, I think, fill maybe that Charleston Rambo type role because he's a burner. He can return kickoffs. What, what do they like about him and how good of a chance you think they got with him? I think they've got a very good shot with him. He's, he's been down here for a little bit. Um, they've got him, they had him down here the whole weekend. Um, I believe he's even been down here an extra day or so past the official visit time that he was here. Um, just kind of stay down here on his own. So they feel pretty good about him there. Um, would definitely kind of make an instant impact on this roster. They don't really have that receiver that can really stretch the field right now. Um, so someone that they really kind of put in the full court press on. Um, they thought they were going to get the uh, the receiver from Oregon who ended up going to Tennessee. Um, once that happened, I think they kind of went full court, full court press on, on Gary Bryant and, mm -hmm. uh, 
hopefully it'll it'll pay off soon. They feel pretty good about where they stand with him right now. Yeah. Um, when do they run out of scholarships, or or does this continue? <laughs> right in the world, way college football is right now, I don't think there's any worry with with scholarship limits. I think you always find a way to make room, whatever it is. Um, I mean, we see Alabama sign. It seems like forty kids every year, and mm-hmm. uh, they never seem to have any problems. So. Um, I think if there ever needed to be room made, they would be able to make room and, and find ways around it, especially if there's still all these COVID scholarships going around and everything like that. Um, I think they're, uh, they're not too concerned with numbers. If they needed to make a spot or two, they, they would be able to do that. One other name I didn't mention previously, Rocky Shelton, who uh, started eight games for Duke at linebacker in 2020 during the COVID year, a kid who's primarily been a backup out of St. Thomas Aquinas here in, in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, he is going to be a, I think, a preferred walk-on uh, transfer, kind of the same way the UAB running back was for Miami last year, a uh, guy that they sort of bring in and, and allow to kind of be in the room. I think that's another good pickup in terms of just bringing in more veteran depth, guys that have been through a system uh, and can help you with practice and make sure you're not getting hurt out there. You you have enough guys to run everything you want because they got a whole lot of new, a whole, you know, whole new mm-hmm. linebacker room. Uh, in terms of, 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 of additions, but it never hurts to add yeah. more depth and pad it with, with guys that have actually played and started games at the collegiate level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a very young linebacker room right now. Um, so bringing in, in Rocky Shelton will help just, uh, like you said, having that veteran presence in the locker room and the weight room, um, you know, wh- whatever it may be, same thing with, with bringing in the, the tight end McCormick, um, just having that veteran presence that knows Mario's culture, knows, you know, hard work, blocking, everything like that. Uh, just having those older guys in the locker room to be able to teach two rooms in, in tight end and, and linebacker that are both, you know, talented, but very, very young right now still. Um, so just having those older guys that can kind of teach them the ropes a little bit and, and help them out with uh, some of the things that they've experienced being in college for four or five or eight years at this time, um, help them kind of learn the ropes and, and, you know, continue to improve. Now, I, my understanding, and I, and I spoke to somebody on Friday about a whole lot of things going on at the University of Miami, but my understanding is I think they have until January 25th to enroll in classes. So that's a week from uh, tomorrow. Uh, classes started today, basically got to be in class by the 25th to be able to be a part of the uh, spring semester. And 24 guys coming in here, that's a really good number. That's going to help you immediately get guys acclimated to uh, just – the weight room, all the all the important things you need. If they have to have surgery, they can go and have surgery and get that out of the way so they can come back and be healthy for the fall. Uh, they get to be with Miami's doctors. So important step here in this process uh, to get the ball sort of rolling, especially coming off of a five and seven season. Definitely. Yeah, it's huge to get these guys in early. Um, like I said, a lot of them, especially the high school uh, players coming in and really going through like a first full physical and everything like that for the first time. Um, you do see a lot of them end up having to have minor surgeries and having, you know, shoulders, knees, whatever it is cleaned up. Um, so it's always good to, to get them in early. So that way they can get that out of the way, um, get going and everything for spring ball and, and just get acclimated into the weight room. Uh, that's in my opinion, the biggest step up going from high school to college is just getting their weight up, getting them ready physically. Uh, so obviously getting in in January rather than in, you know, June is a, uh, is a big difference. Gives you that extra five, six months to be able to, to add on the muscle and everything like that, that's going to be needed to uh, be able to play as a freshman and, and be able to play at a high level and hopefully help this team. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are built to come in and play and maybe not start right away, but certainly play and be contributors because they're big physical guys. That's what Mario went out and did with this recruiting class. So, 
even though guys could be having surgery or banged up, I think if they can make it back uh, by the summer in terms of being on the field, going through offseason conditioning, there's a chance that they'll be in the two deep. There's a chance that they'll uh, be able to compete for starting jobs early in the season. And, and that's what you want. You want to be able to flip this roster as quickly as possible, get guys that can actually contribute, not just, you know, hey, I got to wait a year on these guys. So we'll mm-hmm. see. It'll be an interesting uh, sort of development to watch. Um, all right, let's get into Cormani, uh, because that's that's an interesting story in its own right. Um Obviously, the number, well, he I don't know if he still is the number two recruit. I know on three uh, recently flipped their rankings and I think dropped them to number 46. And that affects the uh, the 247 composite. Um, but uh, he was the number two <laughs> recruit in the country before taking this trip to Colorado over the weekend. Miami, uh, the recruiting dead period ended uh, last Friday. So coaches could go out on the road uh, and start visiting guys and you know, mainly talk to 2024 recruits, but Miami sent its defensive staff to meet with Cormani in Lakeland. And of course, Cormani wasn't there. Uh, he was on his way to Colorado for his official visit. Uh, I think he was trying to keep things secret. He tweeted out that he was in Tampa on his Instagram account to try to throw people off the scent. But reality is pictures and everything else came out. My understanding of the situation, Andrew, um, is Miami's coaching and recruiting department has basically moved on from Cormani. Uh, and and I think they're trying to get the head coach on board with it and and sort of finalize like, hey, this is this is time to move on and look for other guys. Yeah, I've I've heard pretty similar stuff that there's definitely a, a a good part of the staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it's kind of moved on already and is, uh, you know, just kind of over this situation. Whether they they think there's still a, a small chance there or not, it seems like they're just kind of. Uh, fine with with moving on and and you know moving on to the next guy at this point. Um, but there are still some members of the staff that that are pushing there and still want want to make sure that, you know they do everything they can to to try to get them on board. Um, but it's it's a situation where I think if if tomorrow his answer may be Colorado, a week from now his answer may be Miami, and there it may switch six times between now and then. Um, I, I don't know if he really knows what he wants to do yet. Um, but yeah, I, I have heard the same that there's definitely, uh, some members of the staff that at this point are just kind of over the whole situation there, um, whether it's, you know, showing up there and him not being there or putting different locations and everything like that, lack of communication. Um, it, it seems like there's definitely a, a good part of the staff at this point that's, that's kind of moved on already. Um, so I, I think there's definitely still a chance that I wouldn't say he's already, you know, signed, sealed, delivered to Colorado. Um, but it seems like at this point, uh, a good portion of the, the Miami staff has kind of moved on it and uh, we'll be looking somewhere else soon. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think in all honesty, uh, you know, again, I wrote this on signing day. If, if Cormani were to go elsewhere, it would not affect uh, to me in my eyes, the job that Mario did on this recruiting class. Again, I'm repeating it over and over again. I still think they have a very, very good class. Yes. It sucks to lose, uh, a, a top recruit like Cormani, who a guy who could be an NFL player down the road. Um, but at the same time, it's a cornerback position that you can go out and find help. Jaheim Singletary would be the perfect sort of replacement. He was a, a five-star cornerback uh, in the previous cycle. He's already spent a year in college. Uh, whether it's him, whether it's somebody else, uh, one cornerback does not make or break your class. And I think Cormani, as talented as he is, uh, and as, as much as people project him to be a standout, you know, this is just one of those situations in the coaching ranks where if a kid commits, you hope you don't have to go through this sort of sideshow 
in the recruiting process. And I think the moment he delayed his decision, it set 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 this off on a course to make this awkward and weird. And look, he he he's entitled to change his mind. I'm not knocking the kid on changing his mind. You, you have to be recruited up until you sign. But it, it, it makes some mockery, really, of, of what the word commitment means for, for a lot of uh, these guys who do stay true to their word, who do lock in a spot and do want to be a part of a, of a program. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I think they, they've done a good job with this cornerback class regardless, especially if they do go out and, and pull someone like Singletary in the transfer portal. Um, but I think they really like who they brought in. Um, regardless of what does happen here with Cormani, I think Devontae and Damari Brown are, are going to be huge additions to the secondary. Um, I think both of them probably would have played before Cormani, even if Cormani does end up here, just from a physical standpoint, both of them are are ready right away. Obviously, Devontae is a very big kid. I saw him at American Heritage Signing Day. Um, he came down for Damari's ceremony and everything like that. I was I was blown away by, by how big he was as a corner. Um, and then Damari as well is very physically ready. I think both of them will see the field right away this year. Um, Cormani, obviously an elite talent, has great speed, length, you know, pretty much everything you want, but he he would have to uh, still be developed and, and add on some weight and everything like that. Um, so I think he may have the higher ceiling, but I feel like, especially this coming up year, uh, I think even if he does end up at Miami, you'd probably see Devontae and Damari out there before you see Cormani. Yeah, and again, uh, you could sign a national letter of intent like Jaden Rashada did. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You got to be there for the start of classes. So uh, come the summertime, no matter who you sign with here in February next month, uh, you got to actually be in class. Uh, so I think a lot of us who follow recruiting and follow these, this sort of uh, thing nowadays, you, you kind of just have to be apprehensive until the kid is actually in classes, until he's actually at practice. Uh, that's when you know he's really part of the team because so many other things can fall through, uh, which is why I think it's important that you know Miami basically came out and said, hey, there's 24 guys on campus, right? We, we got these guys yep. in. The bodies are here. They're actually... Uh, working and participating in what we want them to do. So, um, mm-hmm. all right, let's, let's, let's move on to the coaching ranks. Uh, Frank Ponce, as I, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, uh, takes the job at Appalachian state, uh, really for Frank. I think this is about getting the opportunity to be a play caller again. I don't think he did a bad job with Miami's quarterbacks. I think it was just a messy situation that he sort of inherited Tyler Van Dyke gets hurt. And, uh, you know, you got a guy like Jake Garcia coming back from injury, uh, from, from missing the whole season prior, doesn't really look confident out there. And then you got to throw a true freshman in Jakari Brown out there, a guy who we all knew coming into the season had to be developed and uh, needed needed probably a year or two before he could really put him on the field. And yet he goes out and he wins a game at Georgia Tech with him. Frank is a Miami product uh, in terms of South Florida. Uh, good dude. I think this was a smart move for him because I think if he wants to really be an offensive coordinator, power five offensive coordinator, he needs more opportunities to just call plays and Appalachian state is sort of the perfect place for him. Yeah. I I think it's a very smart move for him to go back there. Um, Obviously it's the familiarity there. It's where he came from um, to get back into calling plays and everything like that and be able to, you know, hopefully use that as a stepping stone to get to a power five uh, offensive coordinator job, which I think is, is what he wants after that. Um, I think also it's it's a good thing for Miami having him go. I think, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of reports that Gaddis hasn't been around uh, campus quite as much. No one's really seen him over the last uh, couple of days. Um, I've heard he's likely gone as well that uh, he did interview for some, some other positions such as Penn state and, and at uh, Iowa. Um, so I think they're seeing if, if he does get one of those jobs and they can kind of maybe say, you know, it's a, a mutual decision where he's going to leave to go to one of those schools. Um, so I think if, 
or when Gaddis does depart and then having Ponce leave, I think it sets them up to bring in an offensive coordinator that also coaches with quarterbacks, uh, coaches the quarterback room as well, rather than having an offensive coordinator that coach wide receivers and then a separate quarterbacks coach like they had this year. Um, I think uh, assuming that, that Gaddis does depart along with Ponce going to App State, uh, they want to bring in an OC that works with the quarterbacks and then be able to go get a, a wide receivers coach that works exclusively with wide receivers. Yeah. And I think also, uh, you know, you, you hit it on the head. I, you, there was some dysfunction, some miscommunication. Obviously, you need to have your offensive coordinator in the same room with your with the guy on the field who makes the decisions. And I, I think at times uh, it wasn't the smoothest of uh, transitions when when uh, the coaches kind of have to switch rooms a little bit. Um, at, at the last minute, once a week or whenever it is that they would have these sort of meetings to discuss uh, game planning. You want you want your OC uh, with your quarterbacks all week long to discuss things over and over. And I think, uh, you know, again, this is uh, just one of those weird things in college football that happened. Mario uh, comes in and, and I think uh, if he could get a do over, he'd probably redo it in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Josh Gad is concerned, I don't expect him to be back as Miami's offensive coordinator. I think that's the general feeling coming out of the building. Uh, that there will be a change, uh, whether or not he goes to the college ranks or goes to the pros. Uh, I know from talking to my colleague, Bruce Feldman, over at The Athletic, we've had pretty much extensive conversations about this within you know, the past uh, 48 hours, 72 hours, about some of the changes going on at Miami. I think there's going to be some more changes uh, to, to the offensive staff as well. Uh, again, uh, when it happens, the timing of it, all of that, we will see. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, again, I think you hit it on the head. I think Gaddis may, might just be looking uh, for another place to potentially end up another job. And, and uh, once, once they reach that point, they will uh, news will break and it'll happen. But uh, I think Miami fans, I've said this for a while on this podcast, I expected coaching changes and there will be coaching changes. It's just a matter of it being a quote, slow drip as I try to describe yeah. uh, what the way Mario operates. And then I know that immediate question becomes, well, who do they bring in? Who, who is the right kind of fit for this offense? Um, you know, look, I, I don't know who they're going to bring in, uh, Andrew. I just think one thing Miami fans have to understand is that Mario, as the head coach, as any head coach, is going to be involved in that process. He coaches the offensive line. He's with uh, Alex Mirabal on that offensive line. He has input uh, on everything that goes on at Miami. So whatever offensive coordinator comes in here, Andrew, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a situation where he comes in and does whatever he wants. No, it's definitely going to be something that, that Mario has his hands on as well. Um, like I said, as, as being the offensive line coach and everything like that, he's very hands-on, especially when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. Um, but, and I don't think we're going to see a, a massive, switch in philosophy or anything like that offensively just because we know kind of what offense Mario tries to run or, or likes to run. Um, but but I think there's definitely uh, some options out there that are going to be a lot better than, than what they had with Josh Gaddis this past year. Um, and I think just having a, I think the offensive line will be much improved. Um, bringing in, in Matt Lee from UCF, who has a lot of experience, bringing in Javion Cohen from Alabama. Um, obviously the the big time additions in the recruiting class with Francis Matwigoa, Sam Snock and Lola. Um, you know, all those those top offensive linemen they brought in. So I think uh, really shoring up that offensive line will make uh, whatever OC they end up bringing in uh, look better and hopefully make the whole offense feel a lot comfortable and, and run a lot smoother. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, we saw obviously after Mario got hired last year, he kind of uh, moves at his own pace when it comes to, to coaching decisions and, and coaching changes and hires. Um, hopefully this process doesn't get dragged on quite as long as then, but, um, 
you know, we'll we'll see over these next couple of weeks as, as names start to uh, to pop up how they uh, decide to move going forward. Yeah, um, and, and in the end, when you when you rank in the hundreds in a lot of offensive categories, sometimes uh, you know injuries lead to that. Sometimes uh, relationships just have to sort of be reexamined. And uh, again, there's a lot of reasons why this is probably a good thing for Miami. Um, I want to dive into the mailbag. Um, some questions here from our, our loyal listeners and, and off of Twitter. So I hope you'll, you'll help me answer some of these as usual, Andrew. Um, this is from David Engelson uh, on Twitter. Has Gaddis helped or hurt our efforts in recruiting and the transfer portal? It, it, it's an interesting question, Andrew, because I don't know how involved he really was in recruiting it felt it feels like mario headlines a lot of these guys's recruitments individually but what what you know of the recruiting process who was gaddis in on who did he help them get i mean overall i would i would probably say he he hurt them more than anything to be honest just because of uh the way his offense ran before anything else uh i mean you've seen miami strike out on on countless top receivers in in this last recruiting class as well as in the transfer portal and I mean, I, I don't blame them. If you were, uh, you know, a top wide receiver, especially a guy that was transferring, maybe only had a year or two left and you saw what Miami's offensive product was on the field, you know, especially towards the end of the season. Um, I, I don't, couldn't blame any receiver for not wanting to come here. Um, so I think in, in that sense, definitely uh, did not help them uh, too much on the recruiting side. I think, you know, players liked him, you know, recruits related to him. But at the end of the day, the, the production or, or lack of production of his offense was um, something that, that definitely did push a lot of kids away. Um, I know even in, in Jaden Rashada's situation, um, that was something that, that played a big role in it is, is he was very, very concerned with the way Miami's offense looked. Um, and I think overall, it was just something that that ended up pushing a lot of kids away. I mean, there was there was a stretch towards the end of the year. It seemed where Miami went. There's basically over two games without scoring a touchdown, it seemed like at one point. Um, so that definitely did not help recruiting at all. And um, like I said, despite what, what some of the players may have felt about him personally uh, at the end of the day, when they had to make that decision and look at where they're going to be able to produce in college, uh, it, it wasn't Miami's offense that was bringing them in and attracting them. So I think uh, definitely had a, a negative effect on, on Miami's recruiting, especially in the, the, the quarterback recruiting side of things and the wide receiver position as well. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, the, the way things broke sort of that way, um, you know, in the end, uh, he, he is a Broyles Award winner. He did have success at Michigan. I, I was at the coaching convention last week. Uh, Andrew in Charlotte spoke to a lot of people from around college football. I think the major complaint for Gaddis with why things didn't work here, he put the blame on the players. They, they weren't smart enough to understand some of the concepts that he was hoping to instill here. Um, in the end, he didn't really do a lot in terms of helping them land guys. So uh, I think, again, probably reason why things are going to change here in the weeks ahead. Um, this is from uh, Flaco or at Loco Como Un Pollo on, uh, on Twitter. I love the name. Uh, what's going on with Cormani? Look, we, we kind of covered this one already, but I'll, I'll leave it at this. Um, he hasn't flipped his commitment officially to Colorado. I think the feeling is he could still end up taking an official visit to Alabama. Alabama was interested at a certain point before they got uh, Desmond Ricks on board. I don't know if that changes here in the weeks ahead. If, if uh, you know, Nick Saban decides we'll give him a scholarship. I, I tend to think that it's either going to be Miami or Colorado. What What's your final word on this? 
Yeah, I would agree. I'd say Miami or Colorado. I don't think uh, Nick Saban is is too too interested at this point with everything going on. Um, I, I'd say it's not a done deal to Colorado, like a lot of people are reporting. Where right now, if I had to to put a bet down, I, I'd put it on uh, on him making his way out to Colorado. All right. This is from Armando Izaguirre, ay two Mondo on Twitter. Who are the three recruits in the next cycle for Miami that are must get? I mean, I, I know he's committed to uh, to Ohio State already, but there's a long way to go there. I think uh, number one's definitely got to be uh, Jeremiah Smith, the wide receiver out of Chaminade. Um, number one wide receiver in the country. Top, I think, number two overall player in the country, actually. Um, so definitely a, a kid that uh, Miami has to land, especially with their struggles at the receiver position. Um, Jeremiah is one of the top receivers I've seen over the last five, six years coming out of high school, possibly the top receiver i've seen over the last five six years coming out of high school um i think that's definitely someone that they've got to do everything that they can to to get on board and, and flip him over uh from ohio state over the next year um i'd say another uh big time player that they've got to, to work on is, is ellis robinson the who i mentioned before the corner out of uh img um uh, five star number one corner in the country he uh he's definitely someone that they've got to to do what they can to to try to land him um it's, it, I mean, that that's what's going to come down to for that next class is just keeping those those top twenty four kids that are here in South Florida home, and then uh, JoJo Trader as well from uh, teammate of, of Jeremiah Smith at Chaminade. I think if you can go ahead and and get those two, I think you'll get a lot of the South Florida kids to to follow suit. Those seem to be kind of the the leaders of that twenty four class down here in South Florida. Um, so I think Jeremiah Smith, JoJo Trader, and, and Ellis Robinson have got to be the the, the three guys that are main focus going into next year. And it seems like they're all players that Miami's definitely in the, in the top two or top three of in their recruitment right now. And, and I would answer, I would add that if there's a fourth sort of uh, guy to add, it's a quarterback TBA because whoever yeah. the next offensive coordinator is or the next quarterbacks coach, they're going to want their own guy, right. To come in here and, and, and run their system. And it has to be an elite player. Miami took Emory Williams, who everybody has a, a great feeling about at Miami in terms of his potential down the road. Uh, but Tyler Van Dyke will not be here in 2024. He will be gone. Um, Jake Garcia may as well, depending on who mm -hmm. ends up winning the quarterback job between uh, you know him, himself, and, and uh, the other quarterbacks on this roster, Ja'Curry uh, Brown, for instance. So you're going to need another scholarship quarterback. Uh, and you're going to want it to be a guy who can be a foundational piece for whoever the next play caller is going to be, as well as a quarterback coach. So I think that's another big, important need to be met, whether or not that's Michael Van Buren or, you know, uh, Julian Sayan or somebody else. We will Aaron find Nolan's out. Another, another big name out of Georgia, yeah. Langston Hughes. He was, uh, yeah. uh, you know, another top 10, top 15 quarterback pros uh, prospect. He was teammates with, uh, with some of Miami's commits in this 23 class. So we'll see. Like you said, I think a lot of it will depend on what direction the uh, the new offensive coordinator decides to uh, to go there. Right. Um, this is from Andrew V underscore 17 on Twitter. Who should the Canes be targeting in the 24 class? Any thoughts on other coaching changes? Um, all right. We, w we just went over the 24 class. As far as other coaching changes, I don't know what's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball. Andrew, I've heard a lot of people saying that uh, there could be a coordinator change there as well. I don't know uh, for a hundred percent what's going to happen on that side. I'm more confident there will be changes on offense. What's your thought? Yeah, I agree with you. 
Um, I think definitely uh, it seems like the changes on offense are inevitable um, in terms of on the defensive side of the ball. Um, haven't heard anything certainly on, on defensive coordinator changes for sure. I have heard um, rumors of Charlie Strong possibly going elsewhere, not necessarily being let go or anything like that. I think uh, he didn't do a bad job with Miami's linebacker room, given what he uh, was was given to, to work with there. Um, I've heard rumors of him possibly uh, leaving for a defensive coordinator job somewhere else. Um, but things on the defensive side of the ball seem to be uh, pretty quiet uh, at this moment. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, definitely not as much noise as there is on the offensive side of the ball, where it seems like there's, there's going to be some major changes soon. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens on uh, defensively. It seems like things there may stay a little more stagnant. All right. This is from Jay Rune on Twitter. Uh, he asked, what's up with 2024 recruiting? I see a lot of kids jumping on board to different schools while Miami is doing Miami things, saying it's quote-unquote early. Um, maybe they're referencing, uh, referencing TJ Capers here, the defensive five-star defensive end out of Miami, Columbus, who committed to Louisville here early in the process. I don't know there's a ton of commitments yet, really. I mean, yes, there's some elite kids who have committed, uh, but what are your thoughts on that and where Miami is in terms of uh, how quickly they're operating? Uh, I mean, you know, I think they're, they're on pace right now. They're communicating constantly with these players. I think they're definitely looking to start getting them a lot uh, more involved and a lot of them on campus over these next couple of months. Now that 24 class, the, the window is really opened. Um, I think, I don't think they're behind or anything like that. I think, uh, they're kind of working through some things with the coaching changes. Uh, hopefully, like we said, it happens a little bit quicker this year than it did last year. Sometimes Mario is a little bit, uh, you know, drags his feet a little bit when it comes to coaching changes. So hopefully that those get moving in the next couple of weeks um, and they can really go full, uh, full speed ahead on this, this 24 class um, in terms of TJ Capers. Honestly, I, I don't think that Louisville commitment is a big deal at all. Um, we saw it this year with Louisville, um, you know, doing what, uh, what they did to, to get a bunch of kids on board early. And then a lot of them flipping away at the end. Um, I think that's something where, they're just trying to to get their name out there, get some kids on board early again. Um, but I'd be very surprised if that's a, a commitment that sticks even up until uh, August, let alone all the way till signing day. Um, but it's definitely still early. Obviously, you'd like to see kids like Jeremiah Smith and TJ Capers and stuff like that that are local kids not be committing to other schools, um, you know, already. But I don't think there's necessarily any concern, um, you know, still almost a year out from from signing day. Yeah, it's a long way to go, people. A lot of. Uh bags to uh to discuss a lot of nil deals all kinds of things people that affect uh this whole process and uh you know there's a lot of decommitments and commitments it just it, it's part of the deal especially when you're dealing with south florida kids andrew mm -hmm. any any final thoughts here as we wrap up uh this episode i know you're you're, you're always got your eye on the message boards and the uh the twitter verse anything going on that i'm not paying attention because i'm trying to host this podcast with you no, I just think I think the next couple months should be hopefully pretty exciting. I think um, you know we we will see some staff changes, especially offensively. So obviously that's going to be the main story going forward. Um, and then just with uh, with seven on seven season started with visits for for that twenty four class popping up and everything like that. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of very talented kids down here in South Florida um, and in all Miami's campus over the next few months. So uh, hopefully be able to to get things rolling and, and get that 24 class going and, and start moving in the right direction for next year. All right. 
Andrew, thanks for coming on. I want to tell our listeners to check out theathletic.com. Just posted a story earlier this morning with Grace Rayner, uh, one of our national recruiting writers. I told you guys I'd be doing a lot more recruiting stuff. We did an ACC recruiting confidential. We talked to a bunch of high school coaches, recruiting coordinators over the last few weeks to see who's doing uh, really the best job uh, recruiting, um, you know, kids to the ACC. Uh, so if you want to get into a deep dive into some of these interesting responses, you can check that article out. Uh, there will be more uh, coverage in the athletic, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Andrew, you're, you're a busy guy. What's next for you, man? What, what else are you working on besides this raw se- seven on seven? That's uh, that's the main thing right now. It's just uh, now the seven on seven season here is, uh, you know, just kind of working through, through all, all that stuff. Uh, getting all the travel done for these next couple months it's, gonna, it's uh basically pretty much every every weekend every other weekend are going to be in another state now starting uh you know this well obviously this weekend the tournament's down here but after that going to be all over california texas arizona um you know chicago tennessee so uh it's going to be a, a lot of traveling these next uh next few months so excited about that all right. I, I, and I, I hopefully I'll get a chance to go watch you guys uh, on in some tournaments across the country. Uh, by the way, something else I forgot that IMG Academy, I think, is having their combine uh, this coming Sunday. So there'll be news from there. There'll be news from the uh, Battle Miami tournament. I'm sure, there'll be some coaching news. There might even be Cormani McLean news. So stay tuned. Follow me on Twitter, Manny underscore Navarro. Follow, follow Andrew. Andrew, what's your Twitter account? Which is my first name, my last name, Andrew Ferrelli, A-N-D-R-E-W-F-E-R-R-E-L-L-I. Make sure you follow Andrew on Twitter as well. Subscribe to The Athletic. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you're watching us on YouTube or anywhere else. We appreciate the support. Andrew, we'll talk again soon, buddy. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on.